Sons of Saturday, Virginia Tech Hoops pod. Ed, we said that a one and one record in New York would have been reasonable. Virginia Tech went 0 and 2 instead. Yeah, all of the problems that we had talked about previously with the Virginia Tech team reared its ugly head in, in New York. It was bad basketball for the Hokies both nights. Uh, granted, that was against some pretty good competition in Memphis and Xavier, a Xavier team that I think is better than they're even being given credit for nationally. Uh, but Virginia Tech did not show up, did not put their best foot forward against uh, their first real taste of legitimate Power Five, you know, high level basketball. I guess Memphis doesn't count for Power Five, but, you know, they're legit. Um, Xavier, legit. Those are all basketball schools. And Virginia Tech did not come out and did not stack up very well against either one. Granted, you know, two close losses, but you got games you got to have if you have aspirations like Virginia Tech does and like the fan base has for them early in the season. Virginia Tech lost to Memphis 69-61. Uh, if you were to tell me that Virginia Tech was going to hold Amani Bates and Jalen Duran to five of 17 shooting with 15 points, I would have told you Tech would have won by double digits. Yeah, they did a really good job against the known commodities of Memphis. Um, the only starter in double digits was Williams with 16 points. Everybody else, actually the only player period for Memphis in double digits, but they're just so deep. I mean, they played, I think, 12 guys uh, throughout the course of the game, and they're just so much talent on that Memphis team. Uh, Landers Nolly started against Virginia Tech, but that was more Penny Hardaway throwing him a bone than anything else. He hasn't been a starter for them until this game. Um, it was kind of nice to see him not really do anything against the Hokies. But, yeah, they did a great job against, you know, the two top five level NBA guys in Duran and Bates. Um, but the rest of Memphis was just too much for, to handle for Virginia Tech. Um, and honestly, it probably wasn't as much about what Memphis did offensively as it was about what Memphis did defensively to slow down Virginia Tech and, you know, make possessions a lot shorter. I turned the Hokies over way too often. Um, so it was all kind of things like that. The game was just way too fast for Virginia Tech, especially in the first half. I felt like they played a little bit better in the second half um, and had a chance down, you know, late, took the lead with like four minutes left, one point lead. And then um, Memphis came right back down and scored. And that was the end of it. Virginia Tech couldn't hit a shot for the rest of the game, it seemed like. So uh, I think the Hokies did a lot of things really well against a really good Memphis team but uh, definitely left a lot out there that the team would like to have back, I'm sure. Yeah, I didn't think Tech played particularly well offensively, missed a lot of open shots, but that's what Memphis does. They're, they're very efficient defensively. They're one of the top, top teams in the country, maybe, maybe the top team in the country in defensive efficiency. I know they're in top five in multiple, multiple metrics. Um, so Virginia Tech shot 34% from the floor. They were 19 to 56. Not great. Uh, Virginia Tech got 21 from Naheem Aline, but that was on 4 of 14 shooting. My big takeaway from this game, Ed, was, yes, the depth of Memphis, but that depth of Memphis all being thrown at Storm Murphy. Like, Storm Murphy, Penny Hardaway made it clear in, in the postgame press conference that the goal that they had going into this game was make Storm Murphy as tired as possible, like, and take his legs out from under him. So what Memphis do? They ran full-court pressure the entire game because they knew – that Storm Murphy is the only true primary ball handler for Virginia Tech at point guard. Now, that's something that I think Virginia Tech is going to try to remedy going into this Maryland game, which we'll talk about in a few minutes, uh, especially since Sean Padula played well against Xavier and, and was a big reason why Tech um, nearly won the game in the second half uh, with the way that he played. 
But Virginia Tech needs to find ways to take some pressure off Storm Murphy because as soon as the competition ratcheted up, Storm has not played as well. Now, what does that have to do with? Well, a number of things. Number one, while Storm Murphy is athletic, he was probably the least athletic guard on the floor during the Virginia Tech Memphis game. Uh, he's getting pressure the entire time. Uh, he had six turnovers, which just can't happen. You, you can't turn the ball over six times by yourself. Virginia Tech had 13 turnovers as a team but they really made life difficult on Storm Murphy. And that was a big takeaway from the Tech Memphis game. Yeah, six of our 13 turnovers came from our primary ball handler. That's not going to get it done at any level of basketball. I was actually surprised to see that Virginia Tech actually didn't lose the turnover battle in that Memphis game. And still, it just felt like we never really had a chance in this one. Um, Yeah, Storm's turnovers were a problem. And that blueprint that Penny Hardaway put out there will be used by Maryland on Wednesday. And it was used by Xavier in the second game up in New York. So uh, they're going to have to figure out what to do in terms of the primary slash secondary ball handler. I saw a little bit of Darius Maddox bringing it up against Xavier. Uh, You know, we've seen the Hunter Couture situation that they used a lot last year in spurts. But uh, yeah, Sean Padula and his continued evolution could be a huge, huge help in getting Storm more comfortable and not tired because he played 39 minutes against Memphis. Trump played one. Um, that's not going to work. That makes his job so difficult. He can't like, you know, got no legs in his jump shot. Oh, of three from three in the Memphis game. He missed too late. So yeah, they, they did a great job making life super hard on storm Murphy and the Virginia Tech's got to figure out a way to prevent that moving forward against, you know, continued level of high competition that we have on the schedule. Um, we've talked about it, you know, the last time we hit record, there's no more really gimme games out there. So, uh, the playbook is out. Um, not everyone's going to be able to execute it the way Memphis did, but there, there is a, you know, there is some film now of what, how do how do you slow down Virginia Tech's high powered offense? Well, you just slow down the primary ball handler. Um, so I think, I think Mike Young and, and crew will figure it out. I think they'll find ways to make storm more efficient, more effective and less tired. But yeah, that was that was clear what they were doing, and it worked out really well for them. Uh, I was I was amazed to see that we didn't lose the turnover battle, but we got destroyed on the glass. Yeah, Virginia, that was where to me. There, you know, I jumped in the Twitter space after and saw what people had to say, and you know, read things and listened to things and whatnot. And everyone was like pointing to all these different things, but to me, it was clear as day when you look at the box score. We got out rebounded, uh, forty-five to thirty-three. And out offensive rebounded by five as well. That's your game right there. That's those five possessions right there. That's yep. the game. It's pretty simple. Um, it, it, you know, it's hard to boil it down into one thing like that. But when it's that crystal clear in the team stat sheet that one team just got dominated in one aspect, as crucial as rebounding is, I mean, in an eight-point game, five possessions is a big deal. So. Uh, I, I look to the rebounding as a huge problem and it's been a point of concern all year. It was easy to be covered up against the lesser competition, but Hokies have played two legitimate basketball teams now and Memphis and Xavier and out, got out rebounded in both. So going forward, that's a huge area of emphasis that I'm going to be paying attention to. And I'm sure the coaching staff is as well. Let's jump to the Xavier game. Cause I do want to spend time on like higher areas of like higher level areas of of problems here for Virginia tech. So let's talk about the Xavier game real quick. So the tech loses to Xavier 59, 58 Hokies outscored Xavier by seven in the second half to lose by a point. It was not the best first half offensively or defensively for Virginia tech. I thought they played 
much better in the second half. And a big reason for that was Sean Padula was playing crunch time minutes over Storm Murphy because Sean Padula, he had, he had a steal. He drew a charge. He was stealing possessions. He hit a three. Uh, He was doing all sorts of different things offensively. And once again, you want to talk about issues offensively with Storm Murphy in the Memphis game. Well, he cleaned up the turnovers. That was really good. But he was 0 for 5 from the field with zero points. That's our primary point guard giving us Wabisabidi like production, which isn't going to get it done. We've seen that story before last year. Uh, I don't want to boil it down to just one player, but when I look at Brooklyn and, and, and the way things transpired, there's a lot of pressure on Storm Murphy to produce. Um, and I know he was in foul trouble in the Xavier game in particular. He had four fouls. He only played 18 minutes. Foul trouble was an issue for Murphy. There is a lot of pressure on our point guard right now, a lot of pressure on him. And Virginia Tech's got to find a way to ease that pressure. It's not panic time yet. I, clearly it's not. It's only two games. Virginia Tech's got a big game against Maryland on Wednesday night. I think the rotation needs to change a little bit, Ed. They got to do something to mix it up and take some pressure off of him um, as the primary ball handler. Yeah, I would love to see more Darius Maddox and Sean Padula. Darius Maddox has looked nothing but comfortable uh, this year, kind of in general. He, I thought he played with confidence against both Memphis and Xavier, uh, took the ball to the basket, got fouled, converted at the line against Xavier twice, 4-4 from the free throw line, um, 0 of 2 from the field, but 4-4 from the line. We'll take that all day long. And, you know, the Xavier game was frustrating for a lot of different reasons. I, and I think you're right. You know, when you take a step back and look at Brooklyn as a whole and both games, Storm Murphy was bad. There's no real way around that. He was bad. I think he'll be better. I think he'll get there. Um, I think the, t- the staff and the other players need to help him in some areas as well, but I do think he'll figure it out. He was terrible in Brooklyn. Um, close that book and move forward to Maryland. But I also look to the two other, you know, senior level leaders on this team and Justin Mutz and Kevin Luma. I didn't think either of them played particularly well either. Um, you need more than five points out of Justin Mutz against Xavier. You need more than seven points out of Justin Mutz against Memphis. That's just not going to get it done. He's playing too many minutes. He's too important for this team to not be putting the ball in the basket. Uh, granted, he did have 11 rebounds against Xavier, which is nice, but you know, five points, not going to get it done. Three turnovers against Xavier, not good. Three turnovers against Memphis, not good. So I was surprised. That was the first time I've seen Justin Mutz really struggle in back-to-back games um, in a while, at least that I can recall. So I look for him to take a step forward and play really well against Maryland. And Kevin Aluma's stat sheet's fine. Uh, 12 and 14 points in each of those games, uh, five of 17 from the floor. You'd like to see that get a little bit better than it was against Memphis, but I just thought he was soft against Memphis. Yeah. Um, felt that way. Just, I mean, he finished with a double double. So it's easy to just take a glance and be like, Oh yeah, he played pretty well, but it, you know, he had 11 rebounds. He should have had 16. Like he's just getting bodied off the ball by, you know, guys who are bigger than him, but it looked like he was getting bodied off the ball with way too much of a carefree attitude about it. And there was a couple of times where I've seen him let the ball bounce because he thinks one of the Virginia Tech guards is going to grab it. Just go get the ball. Right. Um, it's super frustrating to watch. I, I thought, yeah, he easily could have had a 20 and 15 type of night against Memphis. Um, and he just didn't do it, which was very frustrating. So yeah, it, it, you know, Storm's the easy one to pick on here for the way that things went in Brooklyn. But I think all three of the, you know, 
old heads on this team need to step it up moving forward. One bright spot from Brooklyn, really a bright spot over the last four games. Naheem Aline is starting to heat up. Now, I know he didn't have the greatest shooting numbers against Memphis, uh, but he did finish with team high 21 points, like I mentioned. Uh, but he shot 43% from three, did the same thing against Xavier, shot 44% from the floor against Xavier, had 18 points. He's starting to round into form after a really rough start to the year. Yeah, I mean, he's averaging 13 a game right now on almost 40% shooting and 95% from the line. Uh, he's, he's playing some really good basketball. He struggled early, so those stats should you know be taken into consideration for how well he really has played. Uh, he does not shy away from the big shot. He does not shy away from big games. And I think he's going to be instrumental in any success we're going to have the rest of the way. He's super crucial. Uh, he's probably, you know, the only guy who really has the ability to put his head down and get to the basket. Uh, Justin Mutz tries to, but he keeps turning the ball over. Right. So we're going to need more of Naheem Aline's slashing ability to make up for the loss of Tyrese Radford's ability to do that last year. That's another reason I'd love to see more Darius Maddox is because I think he has that blow by ability. Adds that element. Him. Yep, adds that element for sure. Yeah, it just makes the offense a little bit more, you know, multidimensional. Um, so, yeah, Naheem Aline's been great. And, you know, we're going to need him to be great continuing moving forward, especially in Maryland on Wednesday. Aline, and I think that's been the biggest improvement in his game. He's not settling as much. And he did early in the year, right? Like we were at the Navy game and you and I were discussing there in the second half. We're like, Aline looked okay, but he was settling a lot. And he didn't shoot it yeah. great against Navy. didn't shoot it great in the opener either against Maine. Uh, but the one thing you and I were saying at that time was, hey, it would be great if Aline started getting to the basket with more regularity. He's been doing that. Like he, he did against Memphis and didn't shoot it particularly well. Memphis, they put a lot of pressure on you defensively, and Aline just missed a few open shots as well. But he looks more comfortable in the offense now than he did in the first couple of games. It seems like he's really settling in. And if he continues to slash, you know, get to the hole, it does add a dimension to this offense. And like you said, Darius Maddox, getting him some more minutes would make this offense more well-rounded because that's something he has not been afraid of doing, uh, Darius Maddox. He's been able to, uh, to get to the hoop. And I, Storm Murphy just, he, he plays more, outside in right he's not going to drive to the basket he's going to you know facilitate the offense he's going to shoot open threes and he'll start to make those outside shots we need slashers right that's the one thing we were talking about when Tyrese Radford transferred it's like okay who's the slasher going to be and you and I were like okay probably Naheem Aline but then we didn't see it early now we're starting to see it and now we see a Darius Maddox can do it they got to get those guys more minutes together I think yeah, it'd be, it'd be nice to see that. And I think, you know, Darius Maddox could be the answer to the backup ball handler if Sean Padula is not there yet. Mm -hmm. I think Maddox, is, his evolution is obviously a year further along than Padula's is. Um, and he's just looked extremely confident in his ability on the offensive mm -hmm. end of the floor all year long. So I think Maddox could be that answer. And that would be one way to get him on the floor more as a point guard with Naheem Ali and Hunter Couture, Mutz, and Aluma. Uh, if Storm is, you know, off and continues to not, um, you know, fit into this level of basketball as seamlessly as I think many people thought he would. So Maddox would be a great, great answer to that question, uh, especially, you know, for this year and for next year. We were playing games basically like every two or three days for the first couple of weeks of the season, as you normally would. And then we got a nice little extended break here going into the Maryland game this Wednesday. I want to talk about the front court rotations <laughs> because I'm not sure Mike Young. I'm not sure Mike Young has any idea what he's doing with the front court rotations yet, and he'll figure it out. I'm not worried about Mike Young, the coach. I think he's a great coach. We're we're clear on that. 
I don't think he has any idea what he's doing with the front court yet. Uh, David Gusan only had four minutes against Memphis. In in a lot of respects, I get it because Memphis are very athletic. It's kind of a tough matchup. I, I understand why he didn't play a ton against Memphis. Ojiako played no minutes against Xavier, something I didn't really understand. So uh, we're kind of all over the map with with the front court, especially. And, and what surprised me, especially about the the Xavier game, is we just talked about how Justin Must didn't play well. It's like, okay, why didn't Ojiako get more minutes? And I look back at the box score, I'm like, wait a minute, he didn't get any minutes. Like, what are what are we doing here with the front court? Yeah, I think it's, I think this, I think the front court's a problem. I think it's a problem Mike Young didn't foresee being a problem. Right. Uh, David Gasson has not taken the strides forward that we heard about all offseason to this point. He had that fantastic first game, but he's been pretty disappointing since then. Uh, he gets on the floor and he tries to do a little too much. Um, I would love to see him getting the ball closer to the basket and not catching it on the wing as much as he, ha- as he has been. Uh, I know that's you know supposedly an area he improved on, but I haven't seen it yet to a point where he should be catching the ball out of the three-point line. I'd love to see him get the ball closer. Ojiako is what he is. I think he'll play some minutes against Maryland. I think he'll be efficient and effective against Maryland because uh, they're a big team, and we're going to need someone to go rebound. If Kevin Luma's not going to go do it, somebody needs to go do it. Um, yeah, I think the front court is a huge question mark. And, you know, Mike Young has had a tendency in the past to, to in a close game, go to his five and just right. stick with his five right. and ride it out to the end. And he's going to do that all year because – you know, the only guy who, so far, to me at least, who's really proven themselves coming off the bench is Darius Maddox. And he is not a center and he is not a power forward. Right. So he's going to have to, you know, ride Aluma and Mutz till the end of time here, unless Gasan and Ojiako make significant strides. But so far, they still both seem to be a um, little deer in the headlights out there at times. Regardless, it's got to get figured out. <laughs> and I think yeah. the, the yeah. good news is that. Mike Young and his staff over Thanksgiving now had a few days to look over this film. Virginia Tech's last game was Friday. They're going to have almost a full week before they take the court again, right? It's going to be five days, basically, uh, before they take the court again. You know, they, they use this holiday week, and I'm sure to watch film and kind of figure things out. I'm sure they worked on some things in practice to try to ease the burden off Storm Murphy. I mean, I, it's pretty clear. If it's clear to you and I, it's clear to Mike Young and his staff, right? Like, they're going to look at this and say, we got to find ways to ease the burden on Storm. And we got to figure out how to get John Ojiako and David Gusan more comfortable because in the event that we get a couple of bad Justin Mutz games or a couple of bad Kevin Aluma games, there have to be guys coming off the bench to ease the burden a little bit on a tough shooting night. That's something you and I have talked about on this podcast as something that was impressing us early in the season was, oh, especially after the main game, David Gusan comes off the bench and he was, you know, perfect seven to seven from the floor, um, you know, like the team is scoring, whatever it was. And he came off the bench, played well. We were like, okay, well, that adds an element, right? And then having John Ojiako play meaningful minutes on the offensive and defensive ends of the floor, that's, that's going to be helpful. But now we're kind of reverting back away from that. And I feel like the last couple games, this feels like last year's Virginia Tech team, where now we have a point guard who's not producing offensively, and now we have a really thin front court. So now it's like the same issues – have arisen again and I don't think that'll continue but I do think it's something to monitor where this all of a sudden in Brooklyn looked like the Virginia Tech team from a year ago yeah it looked like a carbon copy of the Virginia Tech team from a year ago minus the ability 
to get to the basket that Tyrese Radford provided. Uh, right. Brooklyn was very concerning. I think a lot of people are um, jumping to some conclusions in the Virginia Tech world, which is mm-hmm. shocker, I know, right? Imagine yeah, that shocker. Virginia Tech Twitter getting being ahead reaction- of itself. Being reactionary? <laughs> and I think this team will be fine. I think they're they're a good team. And I, there are things to figure out. And it's the front court and it's the secondary ball handler. It's the things we knew kind of coming into the year. Uh, for me, all year, my questions were rebounding and defense. And those questions have not been answered in a positive way so far against better competition. Uh, David Gasson was somebody that coming into the year we were all very, very excited about. We had heard a lot of good things about his progression over the offseason. Well, he hasn't scored since Merrimack. Um, he has he didn't <laughs> score in Brooklyn. Yep. No points in Brooklyn. So, granted, not a lot of minutes, but come on, you got to find something while you're out there. Right. I mean, he had 15 uh, minutes. You know, that's I know it's not a ton of minutes, but 15 minutes over two games, you think he would have scored a basket. Yeah, we got nothing out of him uh, in Brooklyn. Nothing out of Ojiako, as you said. Nothing really out of Storm. So a lot of guys that didn't do a whole lot up in up at the Barclays Center. So coming into this Maryland game, I, you know, the five days off, I think, is huge um, for the staff to figure out some of the answers to some of these questions that popped up in New York. And I think they'll do that. Maryland's going to be a tough game. They're a big physical team with some really good players. Um, definitely some <laughs> their coaching is leaves a lot to be desired. But that environment is going to be awesome. I know we're both going to be there. It's going to be a great time. And I'm looking forward to seeing if Storm and Padula and Maddox as the primary ball handlers can weather the storm. <laughs> that, right. that, that will be the, I think it's Xfinity Center that they call it these days. Yep. So it's going to be rocking in College Park on Wednesday night. I hope our guys are up for the challenge. Uh, you and I will be up for the challenge. We'll be there. <laughs> um I mean, how are we feeling about this Maryland matchup? I, I think Maryland provides – this is the ACC Big Ten Challenge. I think Maryland provides a matchup problem for Virginia Tech in a lot of areas. Now, with that being said, I, I do think Maryland has flaws, certainly. Uh, they got Wahab down low. I mean, how are we – If I, I look at Aluma and how he defended in Brooklyn – I just I worry about the front court for Maryland going into this matchup just with how soft we've played. I don't know. It's a concern. Yeah, I actually I actually don't worry about the front court at all. Dante Scott and Wahab don't scare me at all. Uh, I'm much more concerned about our perimeter defense on uh, Eric Ayala, Fats Russell, and Hakeem Hart had you know a career game against Richmond for Maryland over the Thanksgiving holiday. So I worry much more about their production on the on the wings at the guard positions. Uh, Wahab hasn't done a whole lot. Scott's had a couple good games, but most of their production comes from Eric Ayala, Fats Russell in the backcourt, and then either Scott or Hart on and off the wing as their, you know, third head of the monster there. But Ayala is their, their bread and butter. Uh, he's their best player. And Fats Russell, the guard transfer from um, Rhode Island, has been a nice spark for them as well. So I'm much more concerned about our perimeter defense than I am on the interior. I think Mutz and Aluma will be a lot to handle for Wahab. And, you know, he's looked at times very out of place for Maryland. Uh, he's pretty raw. We knew that when he transferred. Uh, he can't really do anything other than, you know, clean up the glass or dunk it. So I think our bigs will be okay if they can stay out of foul trouble. But I am very concerned about our perimeter defense against Eric Ayala and Fats Russell. I want, I want to agree with you. I'm just a little concerned about Aluma coming out of Brooklyn from a 
that's from fair. a toughness from a toughness standpoint. That's that's my concern. Um, Mutz, I'm I'm not as worried about Mutz for obvious reasons. I am worried about Aluma a little bit. Uh, guard play wise, you bring up a good point. Like Storm's got to play better, and he's going to be the primary defender on Eric Ayala, so he's going to have to play better defensively. I think I think he'll probably guard Russell, which is still a concern because Fats Russell is stupid fast. Yeah, um, I think Naheem will be on Ayala, and I think that's a that's going to be a fun matchup. It's the two leading scorers for each team respectively going head to head, guarding each other all night would be my guess, um, unless they unless Maryland decides to put Akeem Hart on Ayala. And then, you know, hide Ayala in the corner guarding Couture. But either way, I think Storm's going to have a really difficult challenge guarding Fats Russell because he is super fast. Um, they're both about the same height. They're both really short. Yeah, play completely different styles of game, though. Storm's looking to get his jump shot off, and Fats is trying to get to the basket. Um, Fats went 4 of 11 with 11 points against Louisville and Maryland's loss the other night in the Bahamas. Uh, didn't shoot any threes. That just kind of tells you right there what his game is about. He's trying yep. to get to the basket and get to the free yep. throw line as much as he can. So I'm interested to see how uh, Mike Young and staff decide to go about guarding him. I'm guessing it'll be Storm with Naheem, who is probably our best perimeter, perimeter defender guarding Eric Ayala, who um, is very streaky, but has a tendency, has the ability to put the ball in a basket in a hurry. So it's going to be an interesting matchup. I think it's a really good measuring stick game for the Hokies and for Maryland. Um, I think they're two teams that are kind of sputtering right now, trying to figure out who they are. And, you know, in region rivalry in a place that Virginia Tech hasn't played in a very long time uh, in an environment that's going to be pretty awesome for for Wednesday night's game. It, it's definitely a very good measuring stick game for both programs. Virginia Tech, out, you know, <laughs> they, they may not face – I mean, certainly in the non-conference, I don't think they'll have another game anywhere close to this. Uh, but – even if you look at like conference play, going to College Park will be one of the tougher environments they play in this year. Uh, it's really tough place to go try to win. Yeah, I, I mean, in terms of just the environment, yeah, I mean Maryland, Duke, Carolina, Virginia. Other than that, on our schedule, maybe Florida State will be tough, but um, yeah, I mean it's those teams right there. It's it, Maryland's a tough place to go play. It's a basketball school. Um, their football team's bowl eligible, uh, but you know, it's a basketball school through and through and it's going to be a really, really fun game. And like I said, I think it's a huge, uh, measuring stick game for both teams. Uh, I like Virginia tech with this, with the distinct advantage in the coaching category, but the physicality, <laughs> physicality thing, questions that came up in Brooklyn, um, they're going to be questions against a very athletic and physical Maryland team. I have no idea how this is going to go, but I'm not too yeah, optimistic. Do I. After the uh, last few showings, I am not very optimistic. Yeah, I mean, I would like to think that Virginia Tech is going to come out and play much better basketball than they did in Brooklyn, but this environment is going to be significantly more difficult than what it was at Barclays. So I don't know. Um, someone's got to step up. I would love to see, you know, more production from Justin Mutz. I, I've been, I was pretty disappointed with how he played up in Brooklyn. I think he'll he'll figure it out. I think he'll kind of. He's going to have a fun matchup against Dante Scott because they're kind of similar players uh, in the way they like to play the game. So that'll be interesting. This team has just a lot of similarities to Virginia Tech. So Maryland, Virginia Tech, it's going to be fun. Uh, I think there should be a decent amount of Hokie crowd in there. But you know, it's the, this is going to be the first real game for the Maryland student section too, which can definitely have an impact. Yeah, that'll, that'll have an impact, no doubt about it. I do hope that a lot of DMV Hokies make the trip to College Park. Um, 
especially if Virginia Tech goes on some runs in this game, we we really want to we we really want to have a crowd there to support Tech, obviously, in, in any road environment, but especially in College Park, um, to really help. Um, this is a this is an interesting stretch coming up here. It, it's Maryland, then the first ACC game of the year this Saturday against Wake Forest. Let's talk about Wake real quick. That is a game Virginia Tech absolutely needs to win. No doubt about it. I mean, I, I think Wednesday is really important for, you know, resume and stuff like that for March. I, I think beating Maryland will be helpful. Uh, but Wake Forest, I mean, you cannot lose to Wake. Yeah, I mean, Wake's gotten a lot better. I mean, they're 6-1 and one on the year. Their only loss came to LSU. Beat Oregon um, State. But they, they did beat a good Oregon State team. Um, they, they're getting better, that's for sure. Um Williams, their senior guard, is averaging 19 a game right now. Uh, granted, the competition's not super great there, but Wake Forest is definitely getting better, but I agree. It's a game Virginia Tech needs to win. Virginia Tech needs a 2-0 week um, after what last week ended up being. I think they need to get both of these wins against Maryland and Wake Forest and turn the page because yeah, I'm sure they have a bad taste in their mouth after how Brooklyn went. And you know, Wake Forest is a program that is not traditionally very good but is definitely heading in the right direction. Um, so I think that'll be a really good game. Those two coaches know each other really well. So that'll be a fun one on Saturday. It's a good way to kick off ACC play. But yeah, I agree. Got to get wins. Got to get wins against Maryland. Got to get wins against uh, Wake Forest. That would have been awesome to split up in Brooklyn. But, you know, worst case scenario has happened. Um, and we'll see what can happen going forward against Maryland, Wake, and then Cornell and Dayton and those following that. Hopefully everybody on the Twitter space will relax if we get a couple wins under our belt here. Yeah, we need that bad. <laughs> the space we has been that. wild. We need that really bad. <laughs> the Twitter spaces have been wild. Make sure to check out the Sons of Saturday Virginia Tech account on, on Twitter. We run, we run Twitter spaces every every game. Uh, Grant Mitchell, Sam Jesse have been the ones running it. Ed and I contribute. Billy jumps on. It's It's been a it's blast. Been fun. It's been really fun, man. We've had a, a lot of our people at Sons of Saturday contributing and we've had a lot of people jumping in as well. So it's been a lot of good conversation post game uh, following every tech basketball game. So make sure you're, you're following along there because Ed and I give our thoughts on the podcast, but we have other folks who would like to talk basketball uh, from the site as well. So make sure to check out the Twitter spaces after the game. Uh, Ed, any final thoughts here? This is a big week. No, yeah, it's a huge week. Um, you know, losing both games in Brooklyn was brutal. And, you know, this is a big chance against two teams that you're probably going to be recruiting against a lot as well in Wake and Maryland um, to right the ship, get the season pointed back in the right direction. Uh, I'm going to be obviously paying close attention to perimeter defense from the guards and Aline and Storm and rebounding and not getting just completely bullied on the inside like we kind of did in Brooklyn. Um, if the Hokies can not get blown out in the rebounding category and not turn the ball over at that crazy alarming rate that they did against Memphis. Um, I think they'll be able to come out on top in both of these games. I think Virginia Tech's a better team than Maryland and a better team than Wake Forest, but you know, basketball's basketball's pretty crazy and Maryland and Wake both have enough firepower that they can knock off the Hokies for sure. Uh, Virginia Tech's got questions to answer and I think they'll do so this week. So I'm looking forward to tipping it off in college park and, Hopefully, hopefully watching Virginia Tech get back to their brand of basketball and get out of there with a win. Yeah, for sure. It'll be a fun week. Uh, we will be back next week to recap it. Ed, tell everybody where to find you. 
Yeah, on Twitter. Everyone should join those Twitter spaces. If you care about Hokie basketball, uh, jump in post-game. Sam usually fires it up as soon as the as soon as the horn sounds, and it's been really fun to get in there and talk talk basketball with everybody, hear everybody's thoughts and reactions. So I uh, encourage you, if you care about you know the Hokies and care about basketball, to jump in and listen and ask questions and have a good conversation. It's been really fun. Yep, you can find me on Twitter as well, at Mike McDaniel SOS. And yeah, definitely check out the Twitter spaces as well. Ed, we'll be back next week. Mm-hmm.